This is the Acts 2028 podcast, where two young Church of God pastors discuss the challenges and victories we face in leading revitalization. I am TJ Samuel. I am Brian Seidel. I am in an urban context in Seattle, Washington. I am in a suburban and rural context in Boise, Idaho. I am in a liberal state. I am in a conservative state. My ministry background is in missions. My ministry background is in youth ministry. And yet we are both in our first lead roles. Help God revitalize the existing church in the Pacific Northwest. We are helping each other. And you. To truly live out Acts 20, 28. Well, here we are again for our next episode. Welcome back, TJ. Uh, it's great to have you uh, with us again, because you're always with us, but we have somebody with us today that's not usually with us. So, uh, you know, we've arrived again at this season of our, our first uh, interview of this season. And so, um, again, welcome, TJ, but more, more importantly, right, is, uh, is welcome, Pastor Alan Cheney. <laughs> Hello, how are you guys? Doing well. Glad to yeah. have you. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. So, yeah, so as we kind of, for our audience that they don't know kind of the connection between the three of us, right, as you say, we have, um, one thing we all three have in common is we've all shared the same position at the same church, but at different times, right? So, um, so that, that is a, a part of that, but I, I will say is, um, again, I know our relationship, Alan, started um, a lot of years ago, actually, when I took your job for the first time, because I've taken your job more than once. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so that first time was when I was fresh out of college, my first full time ministry position, when I was hired as the youth pastor at Cloverdale, and you were the youth pastor before me. So that's yep. that's kind of where where our relationship started, and. Uh, and and we we shared a wall, right? Uh, I mean, for a few years, yeah. um, and 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 I can definitely say, like, as I look back at that time, like I said that, and that was in what year was that? Two thousand two? Was that was when two, that? It was oh two, yeah. So yeah, so if I think back all those times, and again, I think looking back to that as one is I know now how much I didn't know then, you know, even though of course <laughs> going into that, I was like, oh yeah, like I know what I'm doing, like no worries, yeah. right? Um, I didn't know really what I was doing, but so I, I say, I know for me personally, that that was a huge help for me starting out in ministry to, to know that I had a, a, a youth ministry veteran on the other side of the wall, you know? Um, and so, but, but again, you know, so, but then two years into that was when I kind of, everything changed, right. right. <laughs> it was for our relationship. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, I was the youth pastor, started being the youth pastor here at Cloverdale Church in 96. And like you said, uh, then when you graduated from uh, college, um, then we were looking for a youth pastor because I was going to be transitioning to the associate pastor. And I think it was right around 2002, it was probably May when you graduated, um, Yeah. Uh, that uh, you then came on staff as the youth pastor here. And I transitioned to the associate pastor for, uh, I guess it was about, well, probably two years um, until I then subsequently moved to take the senior pastor position in Reedsport. So, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and then just kind of, I guess, fill in our listeners on your story. So, so you moved to Reedsport, to Reedsport, Oregon, right on the coast of yep. Oregon. Um, and so again, we also share that we're all administered in the Northwest, right. And, yep. and which again is a, is a part of the premise of, of our podcast as well. But 
But I think with that said, so you were over there in Reedsport and that, that was your first uh, lead role yes. in that church, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. I'd been the youth pastor here for six and a half years, approximately six, six and a half. And then the associate pastor, you know, year and a half, two years. Um, and then in 04, July of 04 was when uh, we accepted and moved to Reedsport Church of God to assume the leadership role there. So, yeah, very good. So, I, and, and then just kind of fast forward, obviously, to say you were in Reedsport for quite a few years, right? 16 and a half. So 16 and a half years there. And then, um, and now more recently, uh, you have moved back to the Treasure Valley. So, you are yep. back in Idaho. So, again, TJ leaves and then you show up again. <laughs> Yeah, back home. So, yeah, absolutely. And so then, so you came back and then stepped back into an associate role at Cloverdale. Correct. Right. Yep. yep. You know, but, but again, but with the express intention, right, that, that you were going to be moving into the senior pastor role, right, um, well, at Cloverdale. That was the hope. That was the hope. And I, I, I appreciate the way uh, Pastor Tom looked at it. Um, he, he brought me on basically as the executive pastor. Um, as he's, you know, looking towards retirement. And then as we ministered together, if it seemed right, I mean, that was certainly the hope, but we wanted to see if the congregation was going to, you know, be in agreement and accepting of that. And if, if so, th then I would uh, transition at some point into the senior uh, position. Tom would kind of step back into an associate role um, for a few years. So he's still on staff. Um, but yes, as of, I started April 1st of last year was when I began as the executive pastor and then everything seemed to be uh, moving along uh, well. And so then uh, he decided to go ahead in the December annual business meeting to have the church vote if they would have me as the next senior pastor and they voted um, affirmatively for that. So starting January 1st of this year, then I assumed the senior pastor role here at Florida. So you're once again back in the lead pastor role, and yep. so or senior pastor, I guess depending on your context. I know, I, I, I we we've kind of joked on the podcast before. I say like when I came to Oregon Trail, um, I changed the title to lead pastor because everybody in the church was older than me, so I didn't feel like a senior or anything. Um, <laughs> right. And so, yeah, so so again, that's that's the title I like is lead pastor. But again, you're yeah. I think at Cloverdale, I, I don't is it still senior pastor? I, who knows? I, I like the senior or the lead pastor um, title better because obviously in a lot of churches today we have seniors pastors, right? Who lead the you know the older congregation sure. of our churches, and so it kind of differentiates, I think, between you know the lead pastor and a seniors pastor, if you will. Sure, absolutely. So awesome. So and um, so again, so Alan meet TJ, right? TJ, I, yep. I, I don't know you. You guys never, <laughs> you guys never shared a wall, right? So no, nope. no, nope. never shared a wall. But I met TJ several times when we would come uh, back because Boise's my home. That's where I grew up, and so when we would be back on vacation, um, those sixteen years that we were serving over in Oregon, um, when TJ was ministering at Cloverdale, we met each other. I think several times at, at church services. Yeah. Also through the connections of warm and, and some of those things. And so right. again, in making it home, got some, some kids that are at Boise State. So you had some other alliances. Your dad was still in the congregation. And yes. uh, so some of those things, yes, there was some, some connectivity throughout that time. Um, I, I actually missed that part of 
hearing him tell me stories about like mission aviation fellowship and some of those things oh <laughs> but going dad, back to, yeah he loved it when he was able to volunteer there yeah so those are some of the fun times so uh yeah no it, it's it's great i you know tongue-in-cheek it's fun that we've all had a full circle piece uh in in doing that and like it's progressively getting more so alan there's high expectations that you continue to keep that torch going because you know you were like uh, a year and a half to two years with Tom in that role. Brian was about a year. I made it four. Now <laughs> the sky's the limit. So <laughs> now you take that leadership part, or maybe you can defer that to Tommy in the sense of saying, yeah. "Hey, TJ made it at least four as associate. I need you to stick around, big boy, for at least." There you go. There you go. You get that straight out. So anyhow, may I, may I quote you on that? You can quote me on that. I just want to picture, you know, again, with the connectivity we had, uh, you know, what's funny is they live in proximity, probably about, you know, a mile or so from Brian's church, but they attend Cloverdale. We had uh, Warren and Pauline Koch here on Sunday for our service. So just oh, a nice. couple of days ago, I had a bit of Boise and Middleton uh, in, in my neck of the woods. So they were here for Sunday for our service. <sighs> And so we got to reminisce. We took a picture. We sent it to Tommy as well. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of overlap. And, and as you know, like God's, you know, world is so small. And so, like, just the opportunity and to be encouraged, especially like when you're working the harvest fields of the same area. And so it's so cool to see that come to fruition. And I think kind of one of those things, too, is, you know, and you can, we can all speak to this from a standpoint, we're all talking about Cloverdale's, we've all been there or are currently there. Um, but everywhere that we've been, we want to see that ministry continue to flourish, we want it to continue to see kingdom work happening, and uh, things for his namesake take place. And so it's always fun to have a connectivity back. Uh, you know, I, I think we even do this in our own culture of you see things in high school that are like the homecoming game or something. Alan, you've already referred to it in that way. Uh, but, you know, the, the homecomings or those parts where God in uh, our ministry, our testimony has seen fit to, like Brian said, we, we thought we knew a lot more maybe at that point. I, I think it's been <laughs> described as a, as a 10 year reset every 10 years. Uh, what we knew as a 20 year old, we thought we knew everything. Now as a 30 year old, we now as a 40 year old, I, I know more than I did as a, so the reality of that is, is God is faithful. I'm glad that as you know, we've moved and we talk about, you know, Brian was talking premise of our show is, um, you know, there's a lot of things that come with church plants and you get to start new. And sometimes there is some reprogramming and rethinking because we all have not necessarily a bias is a word, but an understanding of what we come to the table, of what church has been to us. When you right. come to a church that's already established, the revitalization piece of that is just different. And so like to be able to speak into that, but to have those relationships, um, anyhow, yeah, it, it just really, it creates a different dynamic. And so I'm glad that we all have that. I'm rooting for you guys, uh, obviously, from from that standpoint. But um, yeah, it's it's good to have that, even though, again, like we haven't served on the same staff. Uh, we can talk about those things. And Brian, and I've talked about circles. You talk about senior pastors. We can't not talk about, say, DB, Don Bertelson, who's leading Joy and stuff at Cloverdale, who was the senior pastor at Oregon Trail. So the, the list goes on and on, but really that ministry 
the good focus of people really just trying to um, do that. But like Brian is saying, like we've talked about ours, Brian comes more and, and is, he's kind of shared with you a little bit more of the youth background. I came more from an associates, more of the um, global, uh, you know, more missions, pastor minded based background. Right. And so I think that's kind of the difference as we process and we work through things and we shift through them kind of, what does that mean? And what did that bring to the table? So um, Brian, what, what would you ask uh, Alan right now as, as far as, is kind of one of those questions that we would, we would say. Yeah. So I, again, I think one of the reasons we want to talk with you today, and I think for our audience, one, I think just, I just want to acknowledge, and I think we should, as we talk about that, again, we've all worked at the same church, we, but yet we have these relationships, these connections. I, I think that, and that's one of the things that I, I've heard from some of our listeners, right, is that they feel very isolated or alone. And I think that's part of what they can find, you know, even in our, our podcast and other shows of, of realizing you're not alone, right? Realizing that, hey, there is a network of pastors, there are you know, people out there with a similar calling than yours in a different context. And, you know, again, even though we're even spread out, even between states now, um, you know, to see that, like, there is that important camaraderie that we should have within the body of Christ. And I think within, even within lead pastors and senior pastors, and, and, you know, again, we've, we've kind of talked about on the show before, but that was one of my most shocking things, I think, coming, you know, moving out of the youth ministry world into, you know, the senior pastor, lead pastor world was, you know, especially in, in, in the youth ministry context, whether it's through the church of God, um, in our treasure Valley, or even just, you know, nationwide, like the youth, youth pastors were really good at kind of networking together and like encouraging each other and kind of doing those oh, things. And yeah. like, and I, like, that's what I miss the most. Like, honestly, I mean, I, I, you know, I definitely, I did not miss the pace of youth ministry, right. Getting out of it. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, I did miss the teenagers. Like I miss, you know, hanging around teenagers a lot, but the sure. biggest thing that the, the hardest thing for me coming out of that transition was just was, I missed that, that network, that camaraderie, that encouragement that I got from just unity, right. With right. other youth workers. And so, again, I think that's something that, that again, like you said, we found in different circles and I think, but it's something you have to like find and seek out. Cause again, you know, a lot of, a lot of lead past senior pastors, right. And unfortunately there's, there can be this mentality of like, uh, of, of competition or, you know, of isolation and, and those, you know, which again, I found is, I found that, you know, being in the senior pastor world and, and it was just, it was not pleasant. And so, um, you know, again, I think it's just awesome. The fact that we can all sit around here and kind of tug and cheek joke that we've all, you know, had the same position, but, you know, yeah. worked at the same church, but, but at the same time, but we are friends, right? We're, we're colleagues, we're connected uh, at, at the very least we're connected by, by the blood of Christ. Right. Um, you know, with, with a common mission. Well, um, I, I think I've seen um, in my 25 years of ministry, and I hope this is true of, of others as well. I've certainly been, I think, fortunate and blessed to live in a time where at least I've sensed less competition amongst pastors and more uh, willingness to work together. But it's like you're saying, Brian, it's for those senior pastors who choose to get out there and build those relationships. It's mm -hmm. so easy to be so, um, you just overburdened with the ministry, you know, that you're involved in, that it really has to be intentional that you get out and you form those relationships for mutual support, um, because they don't, they don't seem to happen organically, like you said, quite as easily, maybe as in youth ministry. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, great point. So I guess, again, if you're listening, you feel isolated, I guess then the takeaway of that is, 
make some effort, right? Like if, you know, if there's not a pastor's meeting in your area, then, then facilitate one, right? Like again, reach out, right? I mean, you know, again, show up to, to our, our, you know, church of God things, or if you're not in church of God, go to your denominational things or whatever it is. Right. I mean, again, you know, make that effort again, there, there are things I know, even within our movement, right. There's, and we have regional conferences coming up. And in fact, the one in, in, in the West is coming up here and it's literally just a month away. And which, which right. I, I don't know, which it's actually, I think I, I already know I'm not planning to go to it. I know, Alan, I don't think you are either. So right. again, yeah. it was, you know, yeah, we are not trying to be hypocritical by that saying that, <laughs> right? but, uh, well, but, you know, again, I, I think that we should take advantage of that when we can, but I think probably more important than that, I, uh, let's see, seven years ago now I went on sabbatical. And during my sabbatical, I attended 12 different churches and I set up with six of those churches to then meet with their lead pastor, um, either before I attended their service or after. And I had a series of questions that I asked all six of those pastors just to try and learn what's working in their ministries, you know, what's really bearing fruit for them. And interestingly, um, three of the six pastors said that one of the most important things they do for their ministry is that they had about three to four other guys, other pastors, that they intentionally once a year got away with got away with them for a two to three day little retreat. So I found that very interesting that three of the six said that that intentional, you know, connecting with two or three other guys, uh, it wasn't over a conference, it wasn't, you know, um, but it was just them saying that we need that encouragement, we need that support from one another, and they just made it happen. Like I said, three of the six said, it's one of the most important things I do. And so wow. they, they were not willing to let the typical uh, isolation of ministry happen. They, they went out there and made sure that didn't happen. And I was, uh, of, of all the things I asked, that was clearly one of the key things that I learned from that sabbatical experience was that three out of the six said, man, you, everybody, all pastors need to do that. They were, you know, it was, it was that rewarding and important for their ministry. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So, so to say that, so I guess as you take that learning, I like, have you done that then since, since that learning that <laughs> way to call me out, Brian? <laughs> I just, uh, no, no. And I, and I, <laughs> I think I actually reached out to you, uh, Brian. I oh, yeah. Now you say that. You. I think you remember, I remember you did and, and I dropped the ball. So no, no, you did not <laughs> drop the ball. That was me totally because my intent was to do that. And so I reached out to about three pastors just to see, you know, is that something they would be interested in? All three of them got back with me and said, yes. And that's where she stopped. <laughs> and then it never went further. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thank you for bailing me out then. Cause I was going to take the blame. <laughs> no, but, but, but I think interesting that point, just even in, in our, just our, for a couple of previous episodes, right. When, when we talked about just some of the keys we went over about preaching every week and, and about, you know, some of the different things that I've found that have really helped me in that process. Again, just one of those things that I talked about in there was how I go away once a year, very strategically on yeah. just on, on a, a spiritual retreat and, you know, by myself to so just seek yeah. the Lord 
and, and again, and, and one of the things that I do at that time is plan out, you know, my, my teaching calendar. And, and so the, but again, I, and I would say that, I mean, that that has been one of the most important things for my ministry, right. And my own personal faith journey and, and spiritual health has been to go away strategically, you know, for that, you know, to, two or three day retreat or whatever it is. So absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think they're both um, very important. I did the same thing probably about, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. Um, the church council and I, uh, when I was ministering over in Reedsport, um, just through dialogue conversation, they, we kind of all agreed that I needed to do that occasionally as well. It sounds like you do it annually. Um, yeah. our goal back when it was first instituted was that I would once a quarter, I would do a two or three day personal spiritual retreat. Well, reality was I didn't make it happen every quarter, but I, I did get pretty faithful at twice a year. And I would totally agree. Those two spiritual retreats that I took by myself, um, were just incredibly valuable, uh, to my ministry. So I, I think, you know, one or the other or both, if you can make it happen, absolutely. Yeah, good. Uh, good. So, and again, though, so the, so now to kind of switch gears back into really why we got together today, right, is to, <laughs> to kind of hear, hear your experience and, and kind of to glean from you some of the things that, that you learned, um, you know, I mean, again, through your years of ministry, but especially, I mean, you've worked in uh, well, all of the churches you've been in, in your ministry tenure have been existing churches. I, I mean, you, you've, you know, again, you haven't been a church planter, right? So you've, you've right. gone into existing churches. Right. Um, and, and to say that, and I know leaving from, um, when you left Cloverdale, and obviously I was a little more connected to that because, you know, in that point, and you were contemplating that we were still sharing a wall, right? So, sure. yeah. um, you know, again, as, and I know, as we kind of went through that, but um, and again, I was, and I was not hugely involved, obviously in your decision, but, but I, I was watching you contemplate that. Right. And, yeah, and, yeah. you know, go through. And uh, so again, to say that is again, you stepped into Reedsport um, into a kind of very similar context that I stepped into Oregon trail in that, that TJ has stepped into Fairview in, you know, gotcha. to where, it, you know, it, it was, it was an existing church. I mean, a church that yep. has, has some a rich history and in a lot of ways, um, but yet had kind of, you know, turned on, struggling times right um and, and so which again is the i mean the premise of of why we talk right is that we're we're both in our first lead role positions in existing churches that needed needed revitalization yeah and that's and that's really and that's exactly what you started into uh with read sport so so i guess just to say that like um when 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 you you i mean and you picked up moved your family right you know yep. over to the to the Oregon coast and, and stepped into a very rainy context. And, um, you <laughs> not know, as which, rainy as everybody thinks, but don't tell them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, so, so TJ is Seattle as rainy as you thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. So, so that, so, but again, as you stepped into that, just, I, I guess just to say like, like what was the Reedsport church like when you got there? Like, I, okay. I mean, was it, you know, again, as you kind of walked into that, I mean, was it what they, what you expected when you got there? What, what was, you know, just kind of, I guess, you know, what did you step into? Okay. Well, I think the very first thing that was critical um, to the future success of, of the church that we saw was that I was coming from a church from Cloverdale and a context and relationship with Pastor Tom 
that I didn't need a job. I was not looking for another ministry position. I was just searching to see if God was calling me somewhere else. I felt that unsettled spirit that I'm sure you've both felt at times, and I didn't quite know what that was to look like, but I knew um, and talked. I was very open with Pastor Tom from the very beginning, and I said, I don't, I don't know, and he, he looked at me and said, oh, great. I know what, I know what that is because he uh, had felt it years ago as well, and so as I then began to um, kind of put my name out there for consideration for churches that needed a pastor, it was then in that context that when Reedsport gave me a call and we began our conversations, we were able to interview each other, I feel, equally. I wanted to make sure that I was the right person for that church just as much as they were hoping to find the right pastor for their church. And so it was this very, I feel, equal um, process of interviewing each other, um, being very candid, um, that really was very helpful in getting that foundation laid so that we had at least the best chance that I could, right? I mean, over a couple of days and phone calls of ask, asking and answering questions, um, that I could at least get the best vision of what they were about to know and to pray about whether or not I was to be uh, the right uh, pastor for them. So I think that was critical off the top because, you know, as, as you're aware, probably a lot of times when pastors are looking for uh, a new church, they're, they're interviewing for a job as well. You know, and so that that kind of has its own bias um, with it. That thankfully I didn't. I, I I was in a great ministry position. I didn't need to. It was it was wonderful. You know, so it was truly a mutual. I think um, interview process that started the the groundwork uh, that then yielded what it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, and again, we've we talked about it in previous seasons, but I remember that was one of the keys. Even when I was started to talk to Oregon Trail, again, one of their first questions to me in the interview was, "Well, why are you looking for a new place?" And I'm like, "I'm oh. not, <laughs> right?" Like, right. you know, yeah. yeah. And, and and I think the fact that I could tell them, be like, "I'm not looking for another job," like yeah. you know, and 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 I think and and that truly was, I think, a turning point, you know, in that process as well, right? For them yeah. to realize, like, man, I'm not just here selling myself because I need a job. Right. And right. so, yeah, well, and I can remember the question because the church there had sent me a whole packet of demographic information about the community. It's Oregon coast. So it's, it's largely retirement communities, whether you're in Astoria, you know, Newport or Reedsport, uh, a lot of those small rural communities on the Oregon coast are largely retirement age folks. And so uh, they sent me that information I was 33 at the time, and so I just flat asked him, I said, what do you want with a young pastor? I said, you've told me that a majority of your community is seniors and retired. I said, so why are you looking for a young pastor? And they just immediately answered back, well, we feel that all the other churches in town are doing a decent job of ministering to that demographic. No church in town is ministering to the young families and we would like to fill that gap. We would like to, to minister to the younger families of our community that we don't think any other church is ministering to. That's why we're talking to you. And that exchange right there was huge for me. 
I was like, shoot, they know what they're looking for. They've got a real vision and idea. They've looked at their community and they've identified the target audience that they were after. And so a younger pastor did that. So that impressed me. So they had a vision and kind of a, a plan. They knew where they wanted to jump in with that and really engage with their community. And they saw that need and they were yep. willing to respond to it. Yep. So maybe take us down. I mean, was that uh, ground level? What did that look like when you arrived there? There, I'm guessing then your congregation was older in nature, kind of the yep. same thing, but they had this desire to pivot so to speak, right. at that point to get younger, what did it kind of look like? I, I know kind of the uh, being a part by proxy of some of these things where you kind of ended up in your ministry, but what did that, when you came onto the scene of this revitalization and taking this new monumental task <laughs> that you're like, hey, you know, I mean, some of the uniquenesses that you're equipped with, like you said, you were 33, you have a family, so you had some kids and you had some uh, built-in insulators to kind of help incorporate that into uh, the ministry. But what did that kind of look like? What it, what was, uh, you know, ground level look like for the church and, and when you guys got there? And then, uh, yeah, kind of set that for us up. Okay. Well, um, I think whether it was the first year, and I remember I did the typical thing you're reading the books. I'm not going to change anything for a year. I'm just going to study the community. I'm going to study the church. I'm going to listen you know, I'm not going to make any big changes for a year. That was the mentality that I went in with. Um, didn't wind up happening that way. Um, and I think if, if I had to boil down, whether to answer your question, TJ, of that very first year or my last year there, the key to, to the success that we saw in Reedsport was because of just basic, practical ministry. I mean, very, very basic practical ministry. For some reason, um, kind of my life and ministry verse has been Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so um, I take that really seriously. And um, so, so very hands-on practical ministry is what I started with just personally. But then I was the model of it. And so the church just kind of followed suit. Now, you're right, that took some years, you know, to develop. But I think because, um, well, scripture says faith without works is dead. So I, I feel like I've seen a lot of churches, including the one that I grew up in as a child, they did a great job of teaching the scripture. There was nothing wrong with the education that I received. The problem was I never saw any examples of application. Mm. And so that's been a big emphasis of my ministry, whether it's Sunday morning preaching or on Wednesday during the week in the office, is I want to be as practical as I possibly can, because all of that biblical head knowledge is of no value if we're not doing something with it. And so when I talk about practical practice, I mean literally down to the degree of I worked very hard right off the get-go of learning people's names. I cannot overemphasize the importance of that, whether it was my first year or whether it was my last year. Just, it, it sounds so simple, but every, what does everybody say about that, right? Oh, I'm horrible at remembering names, right? Everybody says that. Well, everybody then gives them an excuse to not remember other people's names right off the bat. 
And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. And partly, so Brian, I'll go back to my youth pastor days that you then took over for. Um, I had met a young lady, uh, one of our regular teenagers, brought a friend to youth group on, on a Wednesday night. And um, as I tried to do my best, you know, and I certainly don't remember everybody's name. Don't, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Um, but I tried. And the next event, like a week later, was we were going to a Newsboys concert. And um, we were there. I was there with all the kids. Some of them were coming. You know, the parents were going to be dropping them off. Well, this one, one young lady who had invited this friend the week before, she brought her to the concert. Mm. And I can still remember this. They were walking up the stair. We were already in our seats. And they were walking up the stairs to join us. And I didn't even think anything about it. I quite honestly somehow remembered that young lady's name after just meeting her the one time. And I just greeted both the long-term, you know, youth group member and the new member by name. And no joke, that young lady, probably about 15 years old, I probably said her name when she was still 10, 12 stairs below me. She ran up the stairs and gave me a huge hug and said, you remembered my name. And I've never forgot that. There is something powerful. And I've just watched it happen over and over and over again over the years. I've now had countless people tell me years later, do you know why we're coming to Reedsport Church of God? You know why we're here? No, I'd love to know because you remembered my name. To me, that is just one of those simple, practical ways to express the love and the grace and everything that we read in scripture. Well, how do we express that? Well, the first thing is just remember people's names, you know, and then beyond that, it is just the, the day-to-day um, practical things that we can do. I remember I, I had a couple people tell me years later, they said, you know why we're, we're coming to your church? No, I'd love to hear because we drove by your church and we saw you out weeding the flower bed. And we figured if the pastor can weed the flower bed, that's probably a good church for us to come to. So to go back to your question, TJ, I think whether it was the first year or the last year, the real um, impact was just simply I was modeling that Jesus bending down, washing feet, whether it was to my church members or the community um we just we just served in practical ways and of course over the years that then mushroomed into all kinds of things that our church did um but uh, that that was that was the key sure well when i hear that i hear a couple of things because we have a, a a background too in in teaching right so there's this element when i was teaching at kingsway christian school in vancouver church there's that, you said something that triggered that for me. It's that uh, application process. It's not just a head knowledge. We know that to be Sadducee, Pharisee kind of thing, biblically speaking as well, but right. that 18 inches from our head to our heart kind of moment and putting that into play, because that is, you know, what we see is, um, you know, God's word in action, as you were mm -hmm. saying. And so yeah. I think there's that. And then I, when you're talking about that, I also hear this element of, um, whether you fully accepted that new role in your first time of being a, a lead pastor, uh, but you were also like pseudo coach 
or uh, captain of the team. And in either one of those scenarios, whatever one you want to accept, at this point, you're really coach. But coaches create a culture, and then others come alongside them, and that becomes who they are. And we know that in football, sometimes you'll have like the running coach that's just like, we're just going to run the ball, and this is what we're going to do, and this is where our strength is. Um, that hasn't happened with my Seahawks because we haven't had an offensive line, but we won't get into that today. So the reality is, is that the fact that when you set that bar, that expectation, or this is who we are as an identity, you also kind of those type of people will gravitate towards you and it becomes wow. commonplace. And those that don't, they're like, well, maybe I'm not sufficient in that, but man, that really draws at my heartstrings. And I feel like the Holy Spirit's asking me to engage in this way that I never knew that was an expression that I could give back. And so when I hear those things, uh, those are some of the things that I kind of take away with hearing that part of your story in ministry is, um, you know, those are the, the pieces. So if you want to see that change in a revitalization, be the change you want to see. I've, I've, launched, I've launched on that in Seattle where, man, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it of, of, of what it is here. And, and I still get the looks of, you know, uh, why did you come here? Everybody else is going that way. <laughs> and so, like, I still look like a fish out of water. I, I got that a lot. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, Wherever these people are, like whether you're, again, if you're listening to this and you're a pastor getting ready, you're pondering, like we've talked about a new role to go and take an established church and you're feeling that unsettledness, God's doing something in you. Um, man, this is one of those times where when you have that calling, it becomes a lot easier. And it sounds like you were able to frame that both you and Brian in a context to say, look, here's where I'm at. I'm not doing this because I need a resume builder because I need a spot. I want to go because Lord, you're calling me. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, there's been parts again from a boy that grew up on this side, more on the coast um, going to Idaho, really, you guys talk about 2000, early 2000, 2002, really the, the news and the chatter coming out of there was difficult. North Idaho was the Aryan race and those things. And as a guy that was, uh, of Samoan descent, I thought, what am I really getting myself into? Like, is this Nineveh? And like, I'm really going, and, and these are not my people. And That's so like, funny. as I'm going to those things, but again, God made a way. And as you know, now we can all joke and we have these warm, intimate feelings about what God has done through the ministry in Boise that we've all been a part of. And in the treasure Valley, as Brian says, um, that's the thing, but it's so easy to remember that. And those are the parts, like, I love that because that resonates with my own story. I can't tell you how many times I had to go back or like you just said in your part of January, where you had to have a vote of confidence to receive that new mantle of this leadership role. I can't tell you how many times in this little over two years since I've been leading here that I didn't have to go back and look at things where God affirmed those because one of our, you know, statements for church of God is take back what hell has stolen. I'll tell you, Satan's working overtime and he tries to steal his back, but I've had to go back to that affirmative vote and we were a small church, right? So it was like 42 to zero. Uh -huh. Somehow you, you know, the preciousness of even in the group of 42 people, we can't get church people to always align on the same thing. And so I look back on that, even as just a simplistic part of God, you brought us in unity before you can do that again. And as you call us to where we're going, help make that way clear. 
And so I love that piece that's so rich to, uh, because I think we can all take something and apply that to our life and where we've been in ministry. So I just wanted to highlight those things, but thank you for, for sharing that part of it. Yeah. Well, I think every pastor feels a calling, right? We wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't a calling. Um, but then it's, it's how do we then take that calling and how is that going to play out in our ministries? And I think it's very easy. Um, I look back, like I said, in the little church that I grew up in, and, and he, was, he was a very faithful pastor. He was a really good guy. We knew he loved us. We loved him. Um, he did a faithful job of preaching the scriptures. No doubt. I, I, the problem was I left church every Sunday feeling completely convinced that what I was being taught was the truth, but I had no idea how to apply it. And so during the week, it, it caused me, especially when I became a teenager, it caused um, emotions of guilt and regret and shame because I didn't feel like I was doing what I, know, I, I knew I was supposed to do because I was convinced that he was teaching me the truth. So there was this gap of application that once I was able to take that step, and quite honestly, that was here at Cloverdale, um, when my wife and I first got married and we were looking for a church, um, we wound up here because as I listened to Pastor Tom preach, he was making that application. And no longer was I having to leave church feeling guilty that I didn't know how to do this. I now was leaving going, well, I can do that. I, I, get, I, I get that. And so that changed my whole spiritual journey entirely. So I guess that has become, you know, one of my main concerns in ministry now is to make sure that people are hearing the application, the practical side, so that they can feel the freedom that should be coming from our relationship with Jesus Christ, <laughs> not a guilt and a burden from the law, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things too, and I just kind of back up with that, but I think it goes back to exactly what you just said, right? I think is, is we as pastors, as church leaders, I think we need to be asking the question, of why are people coming? Why are they staying? Right. And what is really changing their life with Christ? Right. Like what is truly moving them forward in their faith journey? And, mm -hmm. and again, that's, that's like one of the, again, we have like our, our, what well, we call it journey class one, but it's like the, you know, to help our classes that help, you know, spiritual growth classes to help people move forward. And, um, and again, our first one is just kind of an intro to the church and just, you know, what, for, for any other denominations that have a membership, it's their membership class, but we're church of God. So we don't have that. So, um, <laughs> but, but to say that, like, but uh, so in our journey class, one, I always ask people when they come there, I was like, I always ask them at the beginning of like, why did you come and why did you stay? Mm. Right. And, and it's just, it's really interesting to hear from people of, of one, how, just how they heard about our church, why they came and, you know, all that, which is again, which is all over the board, but I will say that it is the most consistent thing is to say is, um, is most of them say they, they heard about us in lots of different ways, but almost every person that goes through that class says that they looked at our website or watched our live stream before they ever came in person. Oh, and sure. so, so yeah, I'll just say like, that's been one of the major keys to our growth has, has been our online presence. So, gotcha. you, you know, to see that, but then beyond that, but then why they stayed though is, is even more interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and to say, and I remember just, and it just, it, again, it just, triggered for me remember that, that there was there was there's been more than one couple that has told me or family that said they have stayed 
um, then the main reason why they say, like you said, you know, people told you in Reedsport why they stayed, right? Well, because you were, you know, you were reading the garden or you were doing whatever. Like I've had more than one had told me that they stayed at Oregon trail because after the service, um, after I like, I kind of close, give the closing benediction, you know, prayer. And like, I, I just walk in the back, take my microphone off. I hand it to the sound guy and I go out into the foyer. Right. And, and I just stand and talk to people. Right. And just, you know, thanks for coming to go off the door, you know, whatever. And, and, um, and, and I've, like I said, people have told me they're like, we stayed because, because you do that. Yeah. They're like, because you you actually talk to us, you know, and again, what, and, and I don't always re- remember their names. I'm probably not as good at names as you are, but, but yeah, again, not an excuse to say that. Right. But, <laughs> but, but, but I'll say, but again, they're like the fact that you, that the pastor comes out and shakes our hand when we leave. Yeah. Right. And like, and says, Hey, it's great to see you. Like, and, and cause they said there again, people have told me that they're like, we've we've gone to so many churches and like pastors don't do that. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? I just, I don't even understand that. I really don't because over the years I've had lots of congregation members that go on vacation, you know, and they go to church somewhere when they're on vacation and they'll come back and they'll say, I just, I, I, I now appreciate my church so much more because of its friendly welcoming spirit, because I just went to church here, there, or wherever, and hardly anybody talked to us. And I just, I'm like, are you kidding me? I just, I guess I, you know, I've heard it too many times now to, to know that it must be true. But I just don't even, I don't even get that. Because if, if our church foyer is not one of the most loving, caring places, then we shouldn't expect people to stay, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. what should, uh, those relationships, you know, the feeling that they belong, that we want them there. <laughs> and when the senior pastor does that, or the lead pastor does that, it's even more um, powerful. I, I've had people say that, Zary's, I can't believe you're out here. And I'm like, wow. Okay. You know, that's telling me their past experience was something different and that their expectation was shattered or something. And they appreciated that I was actually out there greeting people. And that I do remember, I read a book and I can't tell you the name of the book now, but I remember reading something years ago in which the author was saying it was a church growth book, and it was talking about how some of the most critical time to connect with people, especially your visitors, is the 10 minutes before church and the 10 minutes after. That, you know, you're only going to get this small window to connect with people, and that most pastors are in a back room somewhere praying with their worship team. And the author made the point, can't you pray anytime so that you can then use that 10 minutes before the service to connect with people. And I remember hearing, reading that and just going, you know, that was one of those, duh, why, why would you go isolate yourself in a room, even though I get, you know, for a very valid purpose of prayer, but couldn't you have done that 10 minutes prior to the 10 minutes right before church? Well, of course we can. You betcha we can. We can gather our leaders anytime we want and pray for the service that day so that then we can be available to make those connections because it's one of those little things you've heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if I can take the 10 minutes before and after church every week to make as many connections as I can and speak with people, um, I've just watched it be huge, just absolutely huge. And then people allowing, you know, the church to continue to minister to them because of that, you know, feeling of I, I, they care that I'm here. I, I, I feel yeah. like I belong. 
because everybody's looking for that. Everybody's wondering where I fit in, where I belong, and my goodness gracious, it it <laughs> the first and foremost place it should be is the church. So yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of the other things that people might be thinking right now is how long is this episode? Because we are have reached our our limit, right? <laughs> uh, for this first one. So so to say that, so we are going to have to do a part two. So Alan, if you'll hang out, come up back with us for the next episode. But if you're sure. listening, we are going to do a part two with Alan. And so and so next time in next episode, we'll kind of hear some more just kind of logistics of. So how did it really go in Reed's part? We've kind of talked about it, but let's, we'll actually call it out here in the next episode. So, so come back with us next episode for listening uh, as we continue our conversation with Pastor Alan Chaney. Acts 2028. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. The Acts 2028 podcast is a broadcast production of In His Grip Publishing. Our theme music is Achievement by Giovanni Bruno. We'd love to hear from you on our social media accounts or through email. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Acts 2028 Podcast. Or send us an email at Acts 2028 Podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us ratings and reviews. And even give us your email so you can be notified of new episodes. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we hope that you will lead wherever God has put you. And together we can all live out Acts 2028 as we serve in the established church.